Welcome to our second podcast, Creating Awareness of Developmental Language Disorder, or DLD. DLD refers to difficulties learning language and affects approximately 7% of the population. That is two children in an average class of 30, although many will be undiagnosed by this often hidden disability. DLD causes difficulty with speaking, understanding and reading with a high risk of dyslexia. The complexity of DLD means that it can have a serious and long-term impact on development and is a lifelong condition. This year's annual campaign to raise awareness of developmental language disorder is called DLD See Me. Today I'm talking to Dr. Aoife Gallagher. Aoife is a lecturer in speech and language therapy at the University of Limerick and a speech and language therapist with many years of experience in working with children with DLD in schools. Her PhD focused on cross-sectoral collaboration and rights-based approaches to working with children who have additional needs. For this, she interviewed young people with DLD, their parents, teachers, speech and language therapists and others about what they would like in terms of supports in school. Today we are going to hear more about this work by focusing on what she found about the needs of children with DLD in school. So first, Aoife, um, why do we worry about children with DLD during the school years? Hi, Kira, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about uh, my work and and children and young people with DLD. Um, we're very worried about children with DLD during the school years for three reasons. You've touched on, on a couple of them already. We call them the three Ps. So the prevalence of DLD is a concern. Um, we know from studies that at least two children in a class of 30 will have these difficulties, um, but they're not very well identified. So that's a real worry because we think, you know, up to about 50% of children in schools uh, may have DLD and are not plugged into supports and services, um, hence the importance of this campaign. Yeah. The pervasiveness is the, is the second P, if you like, of a language disorder. And this basically means, and you've, you've intimated this as well, that if you have a language disorder, it will impact on other areas of learning and development, like literacy, for example. And of course, if you have combined difficulties with language and literacy, you're facing many, many barriers to learning in school. And the third issue would be the persistence of it. Again, as you've said, you know, this is a condition that doesn't go away. Um, so we see an impact right through adulthood uh, for uh, people who have a language disorder. Great. And, and what kind of supports do children or young people with DLD need in school? I think that's a really good question and quite a difficult one to answer. Because of the nature of DLD and, and the role of language in the classroom, if you think for a minute um, that you know, all lessons are delivered through language, either orally or written language. Um, you can see immediately that, that uh, children face many, many barriers to learning every day um, in school. So um, the support has to incorporate a way of addressing those barriers in the classroom, um, as well as re uh, most people with children with DLD are going to require some specialist direct work as well. So you see quite a complicated uh, service model that's required um, So, because it needs to include the, the collaborative work between the SLT and the teacher, um, as well as um, possibly some targeted work with the child around specific skills that they need to develop 
Um, and and this is this is a complicated model for us to deliver. Yeah. What do you see as the challenges of delivering speech and language therapy supports in schools? Uh, a lot has been written about uh, the challenges. Um, you know, there there's the cross sectoral element of it. Can't you you can't really underestimate the differences between health and education. So SLTs sit usually within health. And health has its own language and a whole world view, um, which is very different to the worldview in education. We did a study at UL um, looking at whether there was a shared understanding between um, SLT um, around DLD and education just in the literature. And we found, you know, we entitled the paper Consequential Differences because we found very little shared language even between the sectors about the conditions. So, there, there are big differences there which which need to be overcome, I guess, if, if an SLT and teacher are to collaborate effectively together. The other thing is in SLT, whilst we have a good evidence base that's developing now around specific techniques, we'll say, to work with uh, school-aged children, the context of the classroom um, is a significant issue. So in other words, sometimes our, our knowledge and, and what we suggest can be done in class or in school. You know, the teacher saying this just doesn't fit with the business of teaching and learning. I, I don't know how this is going to how I'm going to integrate this into my my daily work. So there's a kind of a knowledge difference there as well. Um, so it, it can be quite challenging for those reasons. Yeah. I suppose another issue is that when SLTs and teachers work together, the level of collaboration is quite deep that that is required. And it's almost they have to pool their knowledge and skills together and come up with new knowledge that is going to work in the classroom. And that l deep level of collaboration, it can pose a kind of threat to your professional identity almost as an SLT. So because you're in a new space of practice that often you haven't been um, qualified or trained to to work in, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the relationship there is really important. Yeah, a lot of challenges. But, but um, you know, we're developing our knowledge of, of how you can overcome these. Great. And what can parents do to help support their children in school? Um, I think one of the key issues is the, the, you know, the relationship with school and with the class teacher um, maintain initiating a relationship and maintaining it um, and that kind of collaborative decision making so trying as best you can to get involved in that decision making around your child's needs um, that that would be very central to ensuring their needs are being met um, you know and and schools now will draw up some support plans for your child so it's about um ensuring that your knowledge of the child is kind of incorporated into the plan and yours and the child's priority is reflected in that plan and of course following up on reviewing the plan um, regularly so parents have an awful lot of work to do um, here in coordinating supports for their child and when you speak to parents you know they will tell you that that it's a full-time job in itself um, to, to do that. Mm. And what do children have to say about their optimal supports in school? 
That's a great question, Kira. I mean, when we when we engage different stakeholders, um, SLTs, teachers, parents, and children and young people with DLD, we ask them to design their um, optimal supports in school, and the, the perspectives were quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, teachers, SLTs, parents, they're quite fixated on the service level stuff, of course. Whereas the child or the children we spoke to were very concerned with the day-to-day barriers in school that they were facing, you know, in the classroom, for example, issues with friendship and being excluded from friendship groups. Um, And actually the children, just to add, had lots of, of suggested solutions of ways that these barriers could actually be be addressed. So, you know, my learning from that work was really, wow, look at the insight that children and young people can bring to designing services in schools. Um, It was really eye-opening for me, having been a practitioner for so many years, to actually um, have the opportunity to get a deeper understanding, if you like, of of the children's uh, views of supports in school. Okay, can you tell us maybe one of those suggestions they had? Or? Yeah, so a lot of talk, uh, a lot of discussion in in the interviews I did with the children around class talk itself, for example. So, in other words, the way what's allowed in terms of talk in the classroom, and the children reporting that the where the teacher initiates a question, for example, in front of the whole class and asks somebody to answer the question and then gives them feedback on the answer. Um, The children found this very, very um, potentially embarrassing um, if they were suddenly picked to to kind of demonstrate their knowledge verbally in front of others and and even um, humiliating. Um, So they wanted a different kind of class talk where um, they had a chance to practice talking, but the, the risks weren't high if they made a mistake um, and they were quite clear that if they could practice talking around an idea in class that they would help them to understand the idea mm. so um, that would be one example and of course there is a rich literature about classroom discourse and how it's controlled and things like that so um, it's an area that I'd like to take forward actually in my research from the children okay great and just to end, really, um, the term, what do you think the term DLD, see me, means to the people that you interviewed for your research? That's a difficult one, <laughs> Kira, because I, obviously I don't want to speak on behalf of, of um, the children I worked with. Um, and certainly I don't want to suggest that, you know, uh, that those views represent all of all of the children um, with DLD. But Again, very interesting because differences in perspectives around being identified as having needs came from, say, the parents particularly and the children. So the parents were very, very keen that, you know, everybody knew about their child's difficulties and that they would be getting the support and that the support would involve lots of coming out of class and and doing intensive SLT, if you like. Um, The children are very concerned about, um, you know, being with their peers and actually not being signaled out on the basis of a difficulty or or in inverted commas, a deficit. Mm. Um, So they 
they have to try to navigate their um their position if you like amongst their peers and 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 wanting support in the classroom that didn't actually set them apart from from their peers um particularly so differences probably in perspectives i would imagine and and of course this this is a huge dilemma for us in practice um you know how how do you meet the individual needs of a child in in the class without stigmatizing or setting them apart so um lots of food for thought there yeah great thanks so much for sharing that with us and you know i think it's so interesting the different perspectives you had and that all are vi- valid and important and really need to be considered when we are thinking about the supports for children in school so i just want to finish by saying that if anyone wants more information on this um, and on DLD, please go to www.radld.org where you can find out more about DLD and International DLD Awareness Day on Friday the 16th of October 2020. Please keep an eye out for local landmarks around the world to be lit up in the colours of the campaign purple and yellow. Here in Ireland we have many landmarks ready to be lit up throughout the country And for more, you can see www.iaslt.ie or look for the hashtag DLDSEMESEENE on social media to follow these events. The Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists at IASLT.ie hope to release more podcasts over the coming year to discuss awareness campaigns for all things communication. So please stay tuned.